to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Numbers, chapter 6. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. And if you get their attention, they'll put a Bible in your hands and they'll be marked to the passage that we're studying today. I know it's been an eventful week uh, in our nation this week. And uh, there'll be plenty of time to talk about all of that. Today I'm going to stay focused on blessing the Lord and celebrating Him and us as a church with how good He has been to us. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. I tell you, we never ever lose a sense of awe and privilege of being able to turn to it and to experience its power and its wisdom and its revelation of you, Lord, and its life and its power to sanctify and bring perspective to our lives that we lose so easily in life. And we pray, Lord, that you bless us and that your spirit would be active in imparting this passage right off of the page of the Bible and right into our spirit and our relationship with you. And I pray specifically that you would work in such a way that this passage would become a very, very good friend to each person that studies it with us here this morning. And I ask it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we mentioned this evening, we celebrate the 30-year anniversary of the Calvary Chapel of Modesto. And to celebrate the 30-year anniversary of Calvary Chapel Modesto is to celebrate the Lord and to celebrate his goodness, to celebrate his grace, his faithfulness, his patience, and so forth. And so for this morning, I thought to myself as I was looking ahead to this particular Sunday night, I thought to myself, why don't I maybe teach my favorite sermon I've ever taught in all of the 30 years? And so I racked my brain for what that might be. And I don't know that this is my favorite sermon of the 30 years, because, but it's certainly in the top five. I don't want to hurt the feelings of, of any other sermon that's been preached in the 30 years. But this is certainly one of my favorites. And and uh, virtually impossible to surpass in my mind in terms of just pure encouragement. And it certainly is in keeping with our celebration of God both this morning and this evening. It's interesting and important to understand in order to understand this passage that the book of Numbers is written to a wandering people. God speaks this to Moses, to his people who are were wandering in the wilderness at that time. And there's a very real sense in which the volume of the book, the entirety of the Bible, 
is written to a wandering people in the sense that no matter where we come into contact with God's people all around the world, there is that realization, and perhaps never more than how we feel it today, that we are coming into contact with a people who are strangers and pilgrims in this world, people who are far from home in this world, far from the home that we will one day find ourselves in, in the glory of heaven. And because God knows this to be our condition in the world, he knows that we are a people who have a special need for encouragement. We are in need of special blessing. The believer in the Lord Jesus faces all of the difficulty in life that everyone else in the world faces. We face the threat of violence, the threat of crime. We face the threat of war. We have need for daily bread and for clothing. We're subject to job layoffs and economic downturns. We, too, are subject to physical illness, difficulties in personal relationships, whether in marriage or in the raising of children, the death of loved ones, and on and on and on the list goes, and each of us can finish it for ourselves. But what makes us different is that on top of all of that, the child of God also faces many things that those who do not live for the Lord do not. Persecution for our faith. Rejection because of our faith. Mocking and ridicule. Constant pressure and temptation to compromise God's commandments in our life. There's a spiritual warfare that is a part of our lives that the rest of the world knows nothing about. And on and on and on that particular list goes. And because that's true of us as Christians, we're in need of supernatural strength and power. And God has supplied that to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We are also in need of supernatural wisdom and truth. And so God has supplied that to us in his word. But we are also in need of supernatural encouragement. And in this passage, we have the Lord himself. This is not Moses or Aaron or the priests coming together and saying, let's work out kind of a little thing that, uh, you know, we might be able to speak to God's people. In this passage, we have the Lord himself telling Moses to instruct the priests concerning the blessing that he wanted to have regularly pronounced over his people at the conclusion of every one of their spiritual gatherings. And at that time in Jewish history, the people met at the tabernacle at least once a day for the morning service and the morning sacrifice. And on special days in their religious calendar, it wasn't unusual for them to meet at the tabernacle and later at the temple multiple times in a single day. And therefore, those uh, obedient Lovers of God and worshipers of God would have heard this benediction of Numbers chapter 6 over and over and over and over again, and certainly at least once a day. And it was all as if God was saying, I want them to hear this blessing so often that they know it frontwards, backwards, inside out, upside down. I want it etched 
into the deepest parts of their hearts and their minds. I want them to hear it until they not only know it and have memorized it, but until it becomes literally a part of them. And this blessing, in it, the Lord reassures us of six things that he wants us to be continually reminded of concerning himself. With so much in the world working against us as God's people, he never wants us to think that he is against us as well. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 24, the priests were to declare, the Lord bless you. And the first thing that God wanted them to be reminded of was that he is a blessing God. He is a God who blesses his people. And he wants us to be constantly reassured of this as well. To have the daily reassurance of his provision, the reassurance of the fact that he knows that we have daily needs and that he will meet those needs. And he also wants us to be constantly reassured of the fact that while the path that we're on as Christians in this world is not the easiest path for a person to walk on, it's not the easiest life for a person to live, it is the path of blessing. It is the path of his blessing. And to know that our God is eager to bless us, he loves to bless us, he will bless us. And to have that be strong in our hearts and in our spirits. And the Lord wants us to have this sanctified boldness to mark our lives as his children. And sometimes I think that in what is known as the prosperity doctrine today, where there is the kind of the false teaching related to, associated with all of that, and I don't want to get into what all of it is and all, but so often I think that sometimes there can be a reaction against the error of that teaching, and the reaction can then take us too far in the opposite direction until we're content to live a life ceasing to have a sanctified boldness in the fact that our God is a blessing God. He wants to bless me, and he will bless me. David wrote in Psalm 37, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. I'll tell you, I'm getting older as well. And I think sometime long ago I was thinking about things I would say to others regarding things that I've learned the hard way over the years in walking with the Lord. Things that I would do entirely different if I had another chance uh, to do them. And in this vein, one of the things that I would warn any child of God against would be to waste any time worrying. And I'll tell you, I bear witness this morning that every moment I have spent worrying as a Christian has been a complete waste of time. A 100% complete waste of time. And I bear further witness this morning that in every situation in my life, God has proved himself to be unfailingly a blessing God. And that isn't to say that he has always done things the way that I have wanted him to or that I would have wished that he might have at a moment in time. But he's always done what was best and time always revealed it to be best. And I have always found that when he said no to something, 
in my life, it was always to do something better, and time always revealed it to be true. Shockingly, I think, I think most of us would, will be shocked, that word blessed that is used there in verse 24, it literally means to bend the knee. It means to kneel. In other words, God is promising to take every position necessary, including the position of a servant, in order to accomplish this in our life, in order to bless us. Well, I'll tell you, I don't know how that uh, hits you. We could hardly believe it except for the fact that God gave this benediction himself to Moses. We could hardly believe it except that we knew our New Testament, where in John chapter 13 we read of our Savior, and now before the feast of Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come and he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, this Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments and took a towel, and he girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon. Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you don't understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. And so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And verily, verily, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 8, in this same vein of God kneeling, Stooping, taking the position of a servant in order to bless us. He said, for what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Would you allow that great truth? My God is a blessing God. And he will bless me to encourage you and to anchor your heart this morning concerning any circumstance you find yourself in this morning. Notice second in verse 24, the priests were to declare and keep you. In other words, the Lord wants us to be constantly reassured of the fact that he is a keeping God. 
And the Lord wants us as his people to be constantly reassured, on a daily basis reassured, that he will keep us and protect us. And each of us understands how important that reassurance is to us in this world that is so fallen, is so dangerous. And the word for keep there in verse 24 In the Hebrew language, it means to keep, to watch, to guard, to hedge about. And in ancient times, for a city to have a wall around it was a tremendous advantage in case of attack. That's why homes that were inside of a city were always much more expensive to buy than homes on the outside, uh, outside of the walls. Protection in this fallen world has always been considered a valuable thing. And here God is declaring himself to be a living, divine wall of protection around our individual lives. And that is the ultimate protection. That is protection that allows us as his people to be at rest while we navigate a very dangerous world. And if you sit here this morning and you are much in need of this reassurance, it would be very good for you to write down Psalm 121 and read it later on in the quiet of your own heart before you and the Lord. And then allow me to read it to you now. The psalmist wrote and said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And Jesus reassures us of the same great truth, the same important truth, in the most important realm of all, the spiritual realm, as he declares in the New Testament, John chapter 17, as he prays to the Lord, his his Father, he said, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, speaking of us as his disciples. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. And those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Then in John chapter 6, Jesus declared, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. From the moment we believe in Jesus until the time we go to be with him, He will not lose a single one of us. He will be faithful to keep us. And just as the apostles, there comes a time to go home to heaven. 
But that only occurs after our ministries are over, and even there his arm is not short. He personally walks us through the veil and delivers us safely into the glory of heaven. And God wants us as his people to be regularly reminded of the fact that he is a keeping God. And perhaps some of us this morning need to embrace that great truth that God wants us never to lose sight of in the immediacy of the situation that you find yourself in. God is a keeping God, and he will keep you. Third, they were to declare, verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord wants his people to be constantly reminded of the fact that when he thinks of us, when he looks at us, he smiles. The image here that is given here in the Hebrew is one of him smiling, his face beaming toward us. A shining face is a face that's pleased. It's the face of one who is enjoying himself, one who is enjoying the company that he is in. And God's face shines with pleasure toward his people. He isn't angry with us or at least a little disappointed with us all of the time. He loves us and he loves us so much that the very thought of us, each of us individually, The very sight of us puts a beaming smile on his face. I wouldn't believe it except it's here in the Bible. But this makes God different from every other deity that's worshipped in the world. The ancient deities could never be pleased. They were always angry. You always had to walk on eggshells around them. You never knew what side of the bed they got up in that, that morning. And God wants us as his people to walk in the confidence that his countenance shines when he looks at you and he smiles when he looks at you and me and you could hardly believe it except that it's right here in the Bible but it's true and I'll tell you there are those times those difficult times in life where no matter how difficult everything else is around me I'm all right if I know that he is pleased with me And he is pleased with us. Once again, a great truth to embrace, that his face shines with pleasure toward you as one of his children this morning, and to bless you and encourage your heart with that great truth, whatever circumstance you find yourself in today. Our God is a blessing God. He is a keeping God. He is a smiling God. But notice, too, that he is also a gracious God. And be gracious unto you. And the Lord wants his people to be continually reassured that he is a gracious God. That is, that he is a forgiving God. He is a pardoning God. That he doesn't deal with us according to justice, but he deals with us on the basis of grace, on the basis of undeserved, unmerited favor. And we cannot, as Christians, we simply cannot be reminded of this too often. Even as God's people, we can't be reminded of it too often. I tell you, I wish I was perfect all of the time. I wish I never sinned. I wish I didn't disappoint people. I wish I didn't disappoint myself. I wish I never failed. But I do. And I do every day. And so do you. And thus I need the reminder of the greatness of his grace and his forgiveness 
every single day. Otherwise, every single one of us would be swallowed up in a great ball of guilt and condemnation. I love that old chorus we used to sing. Your grace opened the door to heaven. Your grace welcomed me in. Your grace, wonderful gift you've given. Your grace is greater than all of my sin. What a line. Your grace is greater than all of my sin. Praise the Lord. The New Testament puts it this way, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, literally grace hyper abounded. And the image in, the, in a person's mind is to build this sandcastle on the seashore that represents your sin. And there it sits. And you wonder, can it ever be washed away? Will it ever be removed from my sight? Is there any forgiveness for this that is the product of my own doing? And then as you look out at the sea, you see a great tidal wave coming in. And as that tidal wave hits the shore, it not only wipes out your sandcastle, but it takes out the whole beach and swallows up the entire state of California, and Nevada becomes now oceanfront property. Where sin abounds, grace hyperabounds. There is no sin in the life of a child of God that is greater than God's forgiveness, greater than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And thus John wrote in his first epistle, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Lord wants his people to be constantly reminded that he's a gracious God, that he is a forgiving God, that he is a greater forgiver than we are a sinner. And perhaps you sit here this morning with some sin in your near or your distant past that continues to haunt you. And you wonder, is there hope or forgiveness for you? I've watched this very thing destroy people's lives from up close. And there is a forgiveness and there is hope for you. And would you allow that great truth that your God is a gracious God and that he will be gracious to you to encourage your heart this morning. Someone might even protest in the depth of their heart and say, Pastor, you stated too strongly. You're going to produce a bunch of self-willed, sin-loving, carnal Christians who are not serious about sin if you represent God's grace in that kind of a way and with that kind of a fullness. I'll tell you, I'm not afraid of it. Because the Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit and receives that kind of forgiveness of God will love him all the more for it and will obey his word in a greater measure under a higher motivation than any other motivation in life. And that is, is an expression of thanksgiving and worship toward him. God knows that as a child of God, we, need, we can't be reassured of this too often. Notice, fifth, that they were to declare the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. 
In other words, the Lord is an attentive God. He's an interested God. To lift up one's countenance, a person's countenance is their face. To lift up one's countenance is to look or to see or to know or to be interested, to have one's full attention. If you've ever sat, entered into a room where somebody is sitting that you love very much, they're already occupied in some kind of an activity. They're reading a book, maybe reading a newspaper or engaged in some kind of something. And at the moment that you walk in the door, that person seeing you walk through the door then puts down everything that they're engaged in and proceeds to give you their full attention. I mean, that feels really, really good, doesn't it, when it happens. And that's God's attitude toward us. The Lord wants us to know that this is what he does every time we come to him. In fact, that is his attitude toward us all of the time. And the Lord wants us to be constantly reassured of the fact that we have his full attention, that he is attentive to our lives, he is interested in our lives, that he cares about our lives, that he watches over us, he's concerned about us, he hears us, our prayers. And there are those times that we all have when we can wonder if he knows what we're going through. And God knows that we can wonder that. And so he reminds us that he is an attentive God. He knows all about it. You have his full attention. And sometimes when in a deep trial, all we need to know is that he knows in order to be reassured. It's enough in our history with God, to know what his heart is like, to know what his attitude toward us, and just the reminder that he knows is enough for us to realize that things are going to be fine. And sometimes when in that deep trial, that reassurance is needed, and he knows he is everywhere and is working all things together for good in our life. He is watching and attending to us. And six, we're to de- they were to declare and give you peace. The Lord wants us to be confident that he is a peace-giving God. The word peace here is shalom. And it's one of the first words you'll ever learn if you are around Jewish people and have them in your family or among your friends or your peers. And certainly if you ever take a trip to Israel, shalom is a word that you're going to learn very, very quickly. In fact, uh, one of the ta- you can buy one of the tackiest gifts that you could ever buy on a trip to Israel is a little plaque uh, that is ceramic, and it says, Shalom, y'all. The first time I thought that, I said, man, the Southern Baptists are sending a lot of people to, uh, to Israel, a lot of churches from Texas coming in. And so a uh, uh, sense of humor uh, related to all of that. But when the Jews say hello or goodbye to one another, they do it by saying shalom. And it's more than just hello and goodbye. To say shalom to a person is actually a prayer for the well-being of the person that they are greeting. To wish someone shalom would be to want the very best for their life. 
And the Lord wants us to be reminded of the fact that he desires the very best for our lives and to realize that God only wants the best for our lives results in a life of peace, a life of rest. To know that that is his attitude toward us allows us to be at peace in an experience of peace we would never otherwise know. Someone has said it's one of my favorite quotes in 30 years. He wrote, God nothing does nor suffers to be done. But what thou wouldest thyself do, couldest thou see the end of all that he does as well as he. You almost got to hear that a second time, don't you? God nothing does nor suffers to be done. But what thou wouldest thyself do, couldest thou see the end of all that he does as well as he. Some of you might say, the second time didn't help me uh, anymore. Well, I have, have, have a very, very good friend, very godly friend, one of the three uh, mentors in my life. He is now in heaven and uh, walked with the Lord and served the Lord for over 70 years. And he restated that saying this way, God answers all of my prayers in the same way that I would answer them. If I had his wisdom, power, and love. And when a person understands that about God and about ourselves, the result will be peace in our lives. If we only realized how concerned and how actively concerned God is for our best, we would rest much more than we sometimes do. Our God is a peace-giving God. He only wants the very best for us. And he wants us to be reminded of this truth so often that we actually come to believe it and to believe it to such a degree that we find peace in it. Now notice in verse 27, the Lord declares, So they shall put, that is the priests as they pronounce this benediction, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel. In that ancient Jewish culture, a name was more than just a label that was put to us that would differentiate us from the other 40, 34 kids that were in the kindergarten class that we first began to attend when roll call was taken. In ancient Jewish culture, a name represented one's nature. And here God is telling them and us that all of this blessing that's been pronounced is his nature, that this is who he is, that this is what he is, and that to pronounce this blessing over them was simply to remind God's people of his nature. And he wanted them to be reminded on a daily basis that this is what he is like. And the reason that we needed and they needed to be reminded of this on a daily basis is no one and nothing is like this in all of the world. So we can find ourselves finding it hard to believe. And so we need to hear it over and over and over again, even daily, because we tend to forget it so quickly. And essentially, God was communicating, this is exactly who I am and what I am to my people. Not occasionally, not on special days. This is who and what I am every single day. 
what I am all of the time. And Moses, have this pronounced over my people again and again and again, even every day, and in order to remind them, because I know how easily they forget it and how much they need to be reassured of it. And then notice what is perhaps the most astonishing thing about the entire passage. In verse 27, when the Lord declares, And I will bless them. The translation to the priests, you pronounce this blessing and you remind them of what I am like. You do some sanctified boasting in me at the close of every service that's associated with my name and I will be faithful to live up to every bit of this in their lives. In other words, don't hide it from them. Don't meet it out by degrees. Don't put it forth by the cupful or by the tablespoonful or by the teaspoonful. Don't hide it from them. Reassure them of it. Encourage them to be confident in it. And I will be exactly what is described here in each of their lives. Wow. Wow. And so he does, and so he will. Our God is a blessing God. Our God is a keeping God. Our God is a smiling God. When he looks at us, he smiles. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is an attentive God. And our God is a peace-giving God. Six things that the Lord wants us to be continually reassured of as his people because he knows that just yet we are still very far from home and that we need it. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Lord, we would never believe it if you didn't say it. We would never believe it if it was something that Moses or Aaron or the highest and the most elite and the most highly esteemed religious leader could come up with. We believe it because you spoke it. And, Lord, deep down in our souls, in our spirit, in our relationship with you, we acknowledge, Lord, how desperately we need to be reminded of these things about you. While we are so far away from the heaven that you have made our home. And, Lord, I close now this sermon in the same way that I began it, with a sincere request that you would take this passage and take these truths, Lord, and make them a very dear and encouraging friend to each one of your children this morning. 
And for the remainder of our pilgrimage, we bless you this morning for who you are and for what you are. And we bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you stand